Well, hello, friends. I got to introduce myself earlier, get to be part of the elder team here. And as you know, Todd, over the last three weeks, has been talking about better together and our core value of community and how we can gain ground in that area. And so today, you get to hear from the other three elders, myself, David Leventhal, and Brian Buchak, as we talk about three aspects of community. One is just trying to share why we are so committed about this and why we call every member at Watermark to be a part of community. And then we're gonna just acknowledge um, it's difficult, and we have a lot of groups that say, I want community, and this doesn't feel right right now. And then we'll talk about how you can gain ground in growing and health in community groups. So we're gonna go through a lot of Bible, and I'm gonna get us started uh, with just sharing why do the elders um, feel a, a depth of responsibility in shepherding the flock? And so I'm gonna share two passages. Now, the first one is in 1 Peter 5, uh, where, where Peter is speaking. He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you. And so elders are called to shepherd the flock. And then he clarifies by saying, exercising oversight. And so there's an aspect of shared leadership in shepherding the flock, as opposed to the elders being in every single conversation uh, with every member of a local church. And it goes on and says, not under compulsion, but, but willingly. And so that's a passage that the elders really uh, feel a burden for. And the other one is in Hebrews 13, verse 17, where it says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. And so uh, there is a, a burden and a responsibility that the elders have for all 8,000 members of this local body of Christ to shepherd the flock. And we believe that we will give an account for every one of you. Now, the, the good thing for you is that when God calls somebody to do something and they are faithful in it, um, God uses that as a means of grace and blessing to others. And so we pray often that as we try to be faithful in shepherding the flock, uh, that every one of our members would, would grow in just the full knowledge and peace of Christ. And so then there's a question of, well, how do you shepherd a flock? And so last Saturday, I opened up to Romans and I read through the 21 epistles and highlighted every passage where I saw the concept of, of shepherding a flock to see what it looked like. I'm just gonna share quickly from three of the 21 epistles. So Romans 1, chapter 11 says, for I long to see you that I might impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. So the first picture I see of shepherding is longing to be with people. There's really a personal aspect of this. And then it goes on and says, um, you know, that we may mutually encourage one another with our faith. And so there's a picture of encouragement as a part of shepherding. And to encourage someone, you have to spend time with them. And then we go on to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, which is a really instructive passage. It says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, as in non-believers, or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters. He's just saying sinners of the world. Uh, since then, you have to go out of the world. Like there's no way of avoiding sin in a broken world. And he says, but now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, like a member of a local church, if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, idolater, reviler, drunkard, basically unrepentant sin. If you have unrepentant sinners in a local body of Christ, he's saying don't associate with them. And he says, for what have I had to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? We are called to judge. 
It says, God judges those outside. And then he says, purge the evil person from among you. And so as I read that, I just wrote down, we are called to get into people's business, right? That's why we talked last week about admonishing faithfully. And we talked two weeks ago about pursuing relationally. We get really involved. And then I'm gonna skip over 2 Corinthians and go to Galatians for one last picture of this. In chapter five, it says, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. Again, Paul's just saying sin, right? So the, the works of the flesh, it's sin, non-repentant sin. And he goes on, he says, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so that's a showstopper when they said, all right, sin, unrepentance, you're not gonna inherit the kingdom of God. So he's got everybody's attention. And then he goes on in chapter six, it says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch over yourself, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so in these first three passages, just brief passages, I saw six ways um, that they were shepherding. There was personal shepherding, one-on-one or one-on-small group. There was longing to get time together. There was mutual encouragement of one another. There's calling out sin. There's leading one another to repentance. It's not just acknowledging sin, but repenting, and it's bearing one another's burdens. And so that sounds like what we're talking about with community and what we want everybody to do. And so we're called to shepherd the flock. We're gonna give an account, and we think the best means of doing that is through community. So with that, you might say, well, Bo, you know, 8,000 members, that's 1,000 community groups. So how can you get comfortable as an elder with giving an account for 1,000 community groups, and how is that going to be a blessing to me? So once again, uh, God's Word um, is our authority, conscience, and guide, and we use Scripture to interpret Scripture. So we're going to go to Exodus chapter 18, where Moses has uh, just left Egypt with all the Israelites. They're in the wilderness. Um, and there are problems. And so this is the next day, Moses sat down to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. So you see these people waiting in line for help, as if a thousand groups were waiting to, to get some help from the elders. So Moses' father-in-law uh, saw this and said, uh, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? So he's basically saying, why aren't you being an overseer? Why are you just doing this all on your own? And Moses said to his father-in-law, well, because the people came to me to inquire of God, when they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make them know the statutes. And so um, this is what we always talk about. Hey, you don't go to church, you are the church. Moses was creating a go to church model. He came, he stood and hundreds of thousands of people waited to meet with him instead of people feeling the responsibility for shepherding one another. So then his father-in-law says, what you're doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out for this thing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. And he said, now obey me. And he just talks about how he's supposed to pray for the people, which our elders do often. We get together and just pray for our body. And then he says in verse 20, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. So there's a one-to-many piece of this. And that's why we come together every weekend and we say that this is a pastor's conference, right? We are equipping the kingdom of saints. And the reason we're doing that, we see over the next two verses where the father-in-law says, moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy, and um, put them over thousands, put them over hundreds, put them over fifties, put them over tens. So sure, divide and make sure that you're having a span to care. And he said, let them judge the people and he said, every great matter they'll bring to you. And so there are times when the elders get really involved. 
And we've been deeply involved in some pastoral care things this week with individual groups. He said, any small matter, they shall decide for themselves. So it will be easier for you and they will bear the burden with you, which is what Paul talked about, bearing the burdens. And so that's the model we're trying to take. So that's why we call every member to be in a community group. And I'll show you a schematic. Every community group has a group of people. So you have members and they make up a community group. There's generally eight to 10 people in a group. And so once again, we want leaders of tens. So we have a community group leader. Now, Brian will talk about how everybody in the group needs to feel a responsibility for the group, uh, but we have a leader that we can make sure is a point of contact that we can reach out to and should go to bed at night just feeling the burden of accountability for shepherding the people in the group. And then once again, Scripture says you need leaders of 50s. And so we have community shepherds. And the community shepherds are lay leaders that have really the highest calling in our body. They're fully devoted followers of Christ that we're saying, can you jump in and help out three to five other groups? And so they're meeting with those groups. That's the point of contact. And we want every member of a community group to know who their community shepherd is. And so with that, sometimes they need help, need a little more support. And so this is where we get to our first and only line of staff in this, which is our community directors. So our community directors oversee 80 to 100 community groups. So look at those as leaders of, of hundreds, right? Or thousands, if you have 10 people in each group. And so they'll jump in and they'll help and they can reach out to the elders whenever we need to jump in. And so that's our span of care to make sure that everybody is, um, is healthy or being served where there's a lack of health. So I'm gonna ask my friend David to come up and talk about just the reality that uh, as we pray and we dig in and we get updates, Thursday night I had 20 of them I was reading, that, um, that there are challenges in groups. There, there is lacks of health. And I've asked David uh, to jump in for me, and he's going to talk a little bit about why we have some struggles in groups. David? Good morning, Watermark. How are we doing? Awesome. Great to be with you again. As Bo mentioned, the elder team, we are passionate about shepherding the body. And the reason we are is because God's word is clear that we ought to all be passionate about this topic. And we know that um, that when the body of Christ works effectively, when all the members are functioning in their role and, uh, and there's unity and oneness, we are better together. But we also know that there's a lot of us in this room who don't feel better together. And you know, if you do anything long enough, you begin to recognize patterns, right? And so the elders, as we've been shepherding uh, groups for a long time, we have begun to recognize, hey, there are some things in common uh, with groups who are struggling, groups who would say, I hear what you're saying, but I don't feel better together with this group of people. And I wanna share with you this morning six reasons that we have seen frequently for why your group may not be better together. And so if you're here and you're in a group that doesn't feel better together, listen up. There may be some things in here where you can identify with. And, and Brian's gonna help us uh, figure out what are your next steps. And if you're in a group where you would say largely, hey, we're doing great, then I would encourage you to listen because there may be a core value that you might wanna reheat or, or begin to focus on, okay? That's where we're headed right now. So reason number one, your community group may not feel better together because you may be confused on what community is in spite of the way we describe it frequently. You may be thinking supper club versus life on life or book club versus life on life or community as a place to share decisions and, and things you're doing rather than process decisions and things you're doing. And listen, we get it. 
We know that in our body, we have folks that have come here from all over. Some folks have never been in a church before they've come to this local expression of the body of Christ. And others have come to Watermark from places where the biblical, the New Testament value of um, shepherding one another was not held high. And we understand that the water can feel really cold. My wife and I have been in this body for 20 years. And it doesn't feel as cold to us because we've been swimming in it. We have seen the benefit in our lives and in our marriages and the way we parent. But we acknowledge that for some folks, this is new and it's hard and it's scary. And so what I want to do is I want to reread to you. We've done this before from the stage uh, a number of times. Todd read this a couple weeks ago. The one and others of scripture, we compress them, we aggregate them together, and we just kind of create a paragraph of this is what community is meant to be. But before I do that, I want to highlight something about your New Testament that may or may not be intuitive. When you read the epistles, Romans to Jude, um, one of the things you'll notice is the word, is that there's a lot of personal pronouns, okay? You remember this? I'm going to throw you back to high school grammar. Uh, I, you, he, she, it, you, singular, you, plural. Remember those things? Does anybody... You guys, or have we all forgotten that? I promise it is useful, students, just not as useful as you might think. But the New Testament, there's a ton of personal pronouns. And so I went and looked at all the personal pronouns. Um, one of the things that's confused, that, that may be confusing is when you look at the personal pronoun you, second person you singular, second person plural. In English, you don't know if I'm talking to one person, you, or if I'm talking to many. If you were in my house and you were in the kitchen and I was in the living room and you heard me say, I want you to go clean your room. You wouldn't know if I was talking to one of my children or all seven of my children. Usually it's all seven, okay? Because the English, it's just you. But now our Greek and God's grace, he's given us the original language New Testament in Greek and Aramaic, which is really colorful. And so you can tell in the Greek by the way it's written, if it's singular or if it's plural. So I went and looked and I discovered, uh, so I, I, first, let me, I, I went to my, the Bible software that I use, and I said, hey, I want you to create like a visual filter. I want you to show me all of the personal pronouns. I want you to highlight them in green. And all of the singular personal pronouns, I want them in red. And so I just grabbed three sections of scripture. Colossians 3, 1 Thess 4, and 1 Peter 1. One of the things you will notice is what? Is what? A lot of green. A lot of plurals. The New Testament pronouns are are almost all plurals. And the ones that are read, most of the ones that are read up there refer to Jesus, him, okay? And then I took it one step further. I said, I wanna see, I wanna look at all of the second person personal pronouns, just the yous. And I went through and looked and there are 1,084 second person pronouns in your New Testament epistles where you is used. Of that 1,084, 181 of them, are singular, you individual. Which means there are 903 yous that are plural. Why in the world am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because when you read your epistles, sometimes we read it as though Paul was writing to David individually and he wasn't. There's a couple of letters that were written to one guy, Peter, I mean, Timothy and Titus. Most of them were written to communities of faith. And so when Paul says, I want you, he's not talking to you, He's talking to you. And we make the mistake often of reading the scriptures in a singular fashion. So I want to reread you all the one another's and I want you to hear them in the plural. This is why we do this together. Okay, you ready? Community, plural. 
Community is where we live out the one another's of scripture before a watching world where we love one another, care for one another, serve one another, admonish one another, we show forbearance to and forgive one another, where we keep fervent in our love for one another, are hospitable towards one another, where we employ our gifts in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God, where we greet one another, are of the same mind towards one another, are kind to each other. We speak to one another in psalms and in hymns and in spiritual songs, where we build up, we comfort, we pray for, we encourage, we live in peace, and we seek after that which is good for one another. It's where we clothe ourselves in humility towards one another, where we live in subjection to one another, where we stimulate one another towards love and good deeds, we confess sins to one another, live in peace with one another, we give preference to one another in honor. It's where we encourage one another day after day, lest any of us become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Does that sound like your community group? Does that at least sound like the target for what you're aiming for? Look, supper clubs and book clubs, they have their place but you're not gonna be able to do what God calls us to do in one to two hour increments every week or two weeks. This requires a life on life, spirit led investment of time, effort and energy. Some of us aren't better together because we are confused about what community is. Number two, some of us aren't better together because community is not a priority. And listen, if your perspective is that community is a book club, or uh, a supper club or whatever, then yeah, I understand why you wouldn't make it a commitment because the commitment for that is much different than the commitment to share life with one another. And frankly, if I could say this as gently as I can, many of us allow the world to so dictate our schedule. We are overcommitted into our kids' sports activities. Some of us have taken jobs that keep us on the road an unacceptable amount of time per week. Some of us play too much golf, spend too much time in a deer blind, spend too much time in self-care activities. Some of us have allowed the world to determine our schedule and there's nothing left over for the body of Christ. Paul in 2 Timothy 2 reminds Timothy, he says, listen, Timothy, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. Why? Because a soldier's aim is to please the one who enlisted him. We have a lot of folks in this body who are engaged in civilian pursuits and it's taken too much of their time. Hebrews 3, 12 to 13, the writer of Hebrews reminds us that we should take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you, second person plural, an evil, unbelieving heart leading you, second person plural, to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, not as some weekly check-in, but every day, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Some of us aren't better together because we have not made living out the New Testament one another's a priority in our lives. Number three, your community is not better together, some of us, because we are biblically illiterate. I'm gonna spend little time on this because Todd's entire message last week was about um, counseling biblically. But I wanna summarize that by saying, garbage in, garbage out. If your counsel is coming from Oprah or whatever blogger you follow, and you're peddling worldly wisdom in your community group, then no wonder it's not better together because if you put garbage in, you're gonna get garbage out. And when you counsel with the world's wisdom, you get the world's results. And sin always leads to death, always. Some of us are biblically illiterate and we don't know God's word and so we don't counsel that way. God has given us the instructions we need in his word. 
Some of us aren't better together because we're not biblically literate. Number four, some of us aren't better together because we struggle to be courageous. We struggle to be courageous. We still believe that having hard conversations is to be avoided. And look, I get it. Nobody, you don't want to be that guy or that gal that has to point out the elephant in the room continually. But, but scripture is clear that if we're going to move towards Christ likeness, we are going to need people to help us identify when we're not acting like Jesus, which is why Paul in Ephesians 4, he says, listen, put away, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth. That speak the truth is a second person plural verb. Speak the truth of his neighbors, for we are all members of one another. The body of Christ is only as healthy as its weakest member. And don't think about membership like your Costco club. It's not what the body of Christ is about. Member, think about your finger or your foot. And if there's unhealth or infection in your leg, it has the potential to destroy the whole body. We are a part of the body of Christ. We need each other to let to remind us of when we're not being the man or the woman that God has called us to be. In Galatians 2, we see Paul, he's summarizing this conversation he had with Peter. See, Peter was, was saying some things. Peter was doing some things that were inconsistent with what Jesus had taught. And as a result, when you do things that are inconsistent with what our Savior has taught us to do, it creates problems. And it hurts the ministry. And it hurts your personal testimony. And so Paul went to Peter and said, bro, or bruh, what you're doing is not right. Okay, you need to, to pivot. And look, Peter needed Paul in that moment to say what you're doing is not right. Paul had to be that guy. And Peter needed him. And I need to have Pauls in my life. And you need to have Pauls in your life. And we need to be a Paul to each other from time to time. And yes, we want to do it tactfully. We want to do it graciously. Uh, like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word spoken in the right time. So there's a way to do it, but we need to speak the truth in love. Some of us aren't better together because we struggle to be courageous. Number five, some of us aren't better together because we have confused preferences, convictions, and sin. We have confused preferences, convictions and sin. And this is a big one. We see this a lot, okay? Let me remind you, if we have the same goal, if we can all agree, or at least we can get a quorum, that our target is to be made into the image of Christ. Our target is to uh, see more personal holiness from our life. It's to see us hate sin more than we do today. It's to see us be salt and light to the world. If we can agree that that's the target, then in areas that are not sin-related, there are a variety of tactics by which we can accomplish that, okay? But when we confuse sin, convictions, and preferences, it leads to great frustration. What do I mean? Let's define them. Sin. These are universal, black and white, chapter and verse items that God has told us. This is right, this is wrong. There is objective truth. This is Ephesians 5, 3. Don't let there be a hint of sexual immorality. This is Colossians 3, 9. Hey, don't lie to one another because you put off the old with its practices. This is where you can say, look, here's God's word. Here's what it says. Here's what you just, I see you doing. This is wrong. Proverbs 28, 13 reminds us that whoever conceals his transgressions is not going to prosper. But he who confesses them and forsakes them will obtain mercy. And so in areas of sin, our response to our brothers and sisters should be, listen, I love you. 
And what you're doing, God has said, is wrong. I am pleading with you to confess and repent. Sin. Convictions. What's a conviction? A conviction is, deals with sin, uh, but on a personal level. It's informed by scripture, dealing with sin on a personal level. So think about Romans chapter 14. In Romans 14, Paul is sharing with uh, the church in Rome, that there are some who are, they're, they're tied up on this, some issues like, hey, what's the right day to do church? Is it Saturday at four or Sunday at nine? One is right and one is wrong. Is it, what about meat sacrificed to idols? We had some folks in the church in Rome who said, I can't eat meat that's sacrificed to idols. It's against my conscience. And Paul says, listen, there's no idol. There's no such thing as an idol. If you want a ribeye from a sacrificed idol and you can get it on sale at Kroger, go for it. And there are some who say, look, I can't. My conscience forbids me, okay? And so there's room for, uh, there's room for uh, differences of opinion and convictions. In our world today, these may be things like, what's the best way to educate your kid? Public, private, or homeschool? And I know that there are some of you who bristle at that because you're like, no, 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 no. There is only one way to educate your kid. You gotta put them in public so they can be salt and light. Oh my gosh, you'd put your kid in the midst of the den of demons? You can only do private because that's where you protect their precious little hearts. You would pay that much money for private? That's not a good use of your money. Homeschool is where it's at. Some of you are like, whoa, that's not a preference. That's a sin issue. And I'm telling you, you're wrong. It's a conviction. There's freedom. Should you go to the wedding of somebody that you don't think should be getting married? Conviction. What about drinking alcohol? Conviction. Proverbs 28 uh, I'm sorry, Proverbs 27, 19 says, as in water, face reflects face, right? You see your face in the pond out there. As in water, face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects man. And so our job is to ask questions to try and see if there may be some motives that are not in line with God's word. It's to make sure that they're using scripture properly to inform that conviction. And then you say, listen, here's your response. I've heard, I hear you saying that you've studied God's word, you've prayed, we've processed this together, and I hear you saying that for you, it would be sin for you to fill in the blank. Great, be free. And then preferences. These are like a variety of opinions. People who love Jesus can go a number of directions. Um, should you get a cell phone for your kid? At 13, 15, never? Should you make your kid pay for their insurance? Whataburger, Chick-fil-A, Ford, Chevy. McDonald's coffee, Starbucks coffee. Although that may be a conviction. <laughs> and again, Proverbs 20, verse five, the purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. And so we wanna be people of understanding to draw out. Are there some motives that are not God honoring in your preferences or in your convictions? And if there are, we should talk about that. But if there's not, your response is be free. There is so much freedom in Christ and some of us are putting each other in a personal prison cell based on our own convictions. We are not called to be the Holy Spirit to one another. It's not Father, Son, and Leventhal. It's Father, Son, and Spirit. Our job is to point each other to, uh, to Scripture. In matters of sin, we call for repentance. In matters of convictions and preferences, we give freedom. We ask thoughtful questions, and then we release each other to live a life of freedom. Some of us aren't better together because we have confused sin and conviction and preferences and we are putting people into a spiritual prison that God never intended for them to be in. And yeah, that's a life suck, okay? 
That's why some of you aren't better together. Number six, our last reason, some of us aren't better together because we think it's too hard and it's not worth the effort. And listen, I get it. If you're confused about the purpose of community, if you're in a group where people aren't prioritizing being the hands and feet of Christ instead of whatever the worldly thing is keeping their schedule tied up, if, you're, if all you hear and all you share is more Oprah than Jesus, if you have folks who are trying to squeeze you into their preferences and, 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 and uh, convictions rather than allowing you the freedom that scripture allows you to have some different opinions on some things that are non-sin related. Yeah, I get why you would say, this is just not, not my game. I'm not, that doesn't sound fun to me. I get it. But we should acknowledge up front that community is hard. Living the one another's in scripture is hard. Do you wanna know why it's hard? It's hard because you're in your group. It's hard for our group because I'm in my group and I'm insecure and I'm odd. I have quirks. I say things at the wrong time. I try and make jokes about things that aren't funny. I'm stubborn. I'm prideful, just like you. Community is hard because it's filled with broken people who are slowly over time measured in months and years, not days and weeks, moving towards Jesus. This is why your New Testament is full of the repeated call to fight for unity and oneness. From Matthew to Revelation, we see it in John chapter 13, in John chapter 15, where Jesus calls his disciples to oneness and unity. We see in John 17, Jesus prayed for his disciples to be one, and he prays for those who would come later. That's us, that we would be one as he and the Father are one. Paul, 2 Corinthians 13, Romans 13, Romans 14, Ephesians 4, 1 Thessalonians, Three, Paul calls us to fight for unity, to fight for oneness. Peter in 1 Peter 3 calls us to it. James, the brother of Jesus in James 2 calls us to it. The apostle John in 1 John 3 and 4 calls us to unity. Why do you suppose it's repeated throughout the whole New Testament? Because God knows that left to ourselves, we will drift apart because our sin pulls us to isolation. Baked in to the very fabric of Christianity is the fact that you and I can't do it on our own. We can't achieve salvation on our own. We can't work our way to God. We need a redeemer to come and save us. And as we live out the Christian life, we need each other to help us get there. Some of us aren't better together because we think it's too hard. Yes, it's hard. Jesus said it would be hard. The road is narrow. Deny yourself, take up your cross. Our enemies are plentiful. Sin is everywhere. Our flesh still bubbles its head up. There's pride. There's intolerance. Yes, it's hard. Jesus said it would be hard. But remember, we are better together. This world is not our home. We are not home. And I can, I feel it in my gut, the ache to be released from this bondage of sin. Can you feel it? And until God comes and gets us, and I pray more fervently for the re return of Jesus today than I have in my whole life. To live as Christ, to die as gain. Until he comes and brings me home or takes me home, I need you to walk with me in community to make sure that I'm the guy that God created me and you need each other. Community is not better to go because you think it's too hard and not worth the effort. So what do you do if you're stuck? What do you do if you're in a group and you realize, man, there's a lot of what you just shared that is spot on with what our group, well, Good news. My good friend, Brian Buchek, is going to come up here and share some next steps for us. Thanks, man. Thanks, David. So good.
Well, I've got the application section for us, and I'm going to help answer the question, what should you do if your community is just not flourishing? Because we've heard it. The New Testament is so clear that members in the body of Christ should be growing and thriving and increasingly Christ-like. We see it in uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. Peter gives a list of qualities that we should be growing in. We see self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection. And in verse eight, he says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a plural you there. It's, it's true for communities of believers that together, as we gather together, we should be increasingly conformed to his image, increasingly healthy and fruitful and effective at making disciples. You know, as Bo noted earlier, it's our job as elders is to really make sure that as a church, we're doing our best to make this true. But the reality is, guys, we know that there are pockets of unhealth in our body. There are community groups that are not healthy. They are not getting the job done. They're not marked by the aroma of Christ and having a mission mindset. And frankly, we, we have some dead churches in our midst. Jesus had something to say to the dead church that I think we should pay attention to. There's a warning in Revelation 3, 1 through 3. Jesus said, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Whew, that's strong. He says, you have the reputation of being alive because maybe you're in a watermark community group, but you're not living life together. And so we need to strengthen what remains and is about to die. We need to remember what we've learned, what we've received. We need to repent, some of us. See, if ever a crack were gonna appear in the values that support our foundation as a church, I really personally don't think it would be because of unbiblical teaching here. We have a lot of leaders who love God's word and are committed to teaching uh, the Bible accurately. I, I think if a crack were to appear here, it would be because we have an increase in the number of members who are not biblically shepherding one another. When we see an increase in the number of members here, who say they wanna be about it, but in actuality, their lives don't reflect it. Their lives, as David just talked about, prioritize everything else, and everything else squeezes out the time. It's about making money and their favorite sports teams and kids' activities, the next vacation, the next whatever, and it squeezes out our time so much that we have nothing left to grow in brotherly affection for those that we're in community with. See, and the interesting thing is if you ask the members of some of these groups, hey, how are you doing? How's your group really doing? They say, we're doing okay. But guys, just okay is not okay, right? We all know the commercials. AT&T has bombarded us recently with these, and they're funny. Uh, 
because they're true. You know, just okay is not okay. And the surgeon one is hilarious. He comes in to speak to his patient. He hasn't quite been reinstated yet for surgery, but he comes and he says, you nervous? Yeah, me too. Ah, oh, don't worry about it. We'll figure it out. I'll see you in there as he walks out of the room. And it's, it's funny because we know it's not okay to go into surgery with a surgeon who's just okay. And the same is true, guys, that your community, my community, it's not okay to just be okay. Because then you're not okay. Let's be clear. Guys, the church and your community group should be the epicenter of human flourishing, where there is joy and health and fruitfulness abounding, being and making disciples. See, the healthiest groups at Watermark, the ones that are not just okay, but they're marked by increasing love and Christ-likeness, there's some common denominators. And so in these groups that are the healthiest, we see largely they're made up of members who are devoting to Christ daily. These are members who are opening God's word seven days a week, not once or twice a week, but seven days a week, they're opening God's word, trying to abide with Christ daily. And then importantly, these groups are made up of members where each member has decided to have personal responsibility and ownership over the health of the group. They're not just looking to the community group leader on paper to bring health into the group. Everybody in the group is trying to be a leader and continually drive toward health and fruitfulness. And so if your group isn't growing and thriving, if you're not a healthy local church, then I'm gonna look to you and ask you to take the initiative. You own the responsibility. Because apathy is sin, gang, and passivity is a growth killer. So I'm gonna give us eight practical steps to help you if your group is not flourishing. And so this can apply to any spectrum. It could be a group that needs to go from a two to a six or a group that's doing okay and they need to go from a six to a nine, okay? I think each of us can benefit from just walking through some of these steps. Number one, I'm gonna move through these quickly. Prayerfully and openly discuss with your group. There shouldn't be any elephants in the room. There should be nothing off limits. We've got to openly discuss what's going on. And, and we're gonna ask you to assess and evaluate constantly. Don't just wait for the annual community group assessment that we ask every group to take. Okay, we want you evaluating every single week. Every time you're together, you should be asking, hey, how are we doing? How'd we do this week? Is anybody here in conflict with one another? Let's deal with it. Don't sweep things under the rug. That will not help you flourish. Number two, loop in your community shepherd. As Bo talked about earlier, we have a shepherding structure here. And your first line of help in a community group is that you have a shepherd. This is a trusted, faithful member of our body who has answered the call, the ask of the elders to shepherd three to five community groups. And so they are there to jump in with you, disciple you, walk you through hard conversations, address the things that need to be addressed. Every single member in our body should know who your community shepherd is. And not just the community group leader, 
We want every member to know who your shepherd is. And so if you don't know yours, email today, community at watermark.org and ask, who is my community shepherd? And we want every member to feel the freedom to always be able to reach out to that person. You don't have to rely on the community group leader to reach out to the shepherd. Any member can reach out to your shepherd and say, hey, we're struggling, we need help. Okay, number three, it's pretty basic, but just proactively address what's hindering the group. Don't just talk about it, okay, but bring your shepherd in and the shepherd is there to help you proactively address what's going on. Tackle it. Number four, Todd mentioned these last week, but answer the three community feeding questions. You answer the first two so that we can be effective in answering the third one. So the first one, how'd you feed your soul this week? Second is how'd you feed your flesh this week? And we answer those so that we can be effective in the third one, which is how did you feed others this week? How did you make disciples? How were you about God's business? Number five, use the available resources here at Watermark that we have for you. We work hard. We have some amazing teams that basically uh, repackage God's word in really digestible formats to help people uh, just get traction and, and learn and grow. And so um, really the, you know, the first resource that we have for you, we're gonna send a shepherd into your group and they're gonna have a Bible the absolute best resource that you have. A faithful man or woman who can accurately divide the word of God is the best resource. Okay, beyond that, we have a community app. And so I want you to update it, download the latest version, because just this week, a few days ago, we put some new resources in there. They're called Leadership Lessons, and they're 10-minute podcasts that are on topics related to community that are there to help you. Okay, you guys know about Real Truth real quick. Money-wise curriculum. We have uh, the uh, Conflict Field Guide. We have a community launch curriculum that's just be recently been updated. This is for every group can get access to this. It's not just for new groups. And so on the Sermon Guides page in the app, the community app, you'll find all these resources and more linked for you. These are to help you. So utilize them. Number six, Start a daily text chain with the men or women in your group. This is so simple, okay? Everybody in here is texting 100 other people, okay? Start a daily text chain and be responsive, okay? Be responsive, gang, because nobody likes crickets, okay? It's frustrating when you share something from God's word. Hey, I, I read this. And hey, somebody will love on that brother out there. Okay, when we share from God's word what I read today and a struggle that I have, a prayer request, somebody in the group, please respond. Please respond and just, it's the way that we aim to live out Hebrews 3.13, which is, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And I need this because my heart is deceitful and I, I need the men in my group texting constantly, and they do, they're faithful with this, to put God's word in front of me. And it helps my heart to not be distracted and deceived. Okay, number seven, really simple. Schedule some time away together with your group. Even just 24 hours. This will propel you forward, uh, just relationally in a big way. And so when you, when you plan your time, have some fun, play together. 
pray together and open God's word together. If you don't know how to schedule this time together and, and how to set an agenda like that, ask your community shepherd to help you. They would love to help you. All right, and number eight, guys, it, it's just kind of the, the bow on it. It's just stay committed. Stay committed, gang. Don't buy the lie that isolation is easier or better. It's not, I've lived it. Prior to coming to Watermark 15 years ago, really isolated. It's not easier or better to live in isolation. And so trust that when we go through hard things, God is sovereign, he's in it with you. And oftentimes this is what he uses to grow us the most, is it not? When we go through difficult things, even in community, that is how God is sanctifying us to make us more like Christ. And so don't hit eject, stay in it. Galatians 6, 9. And let us not grow weary in doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. All right, well, what do you do? Uh, you know, it, much of the time the right answer is having your community shepherd jump in or just having more discipleship on specific topics. But there are times when there is so much disunity and discouragement and unhealth that's in a group that the right answer could be that the group needs to disband. And, and we just want, don't want you having those conversations on your own. We would love for you, please invite your shepherd into those conversations from the very beginning so we can join you and just help navigate and address the issues that are there. We don't wanna just send unhealth and dysfunction into a different group. We wanna deal with that first. And sometimes it's the right answer that members would step out of membership for a season before getting into another group. All right, and then lastly, let me just answer this really quick. Sometimes it can be frustrating here if you feel stuck in the assimilation process. If you don't know what your next step is, you're trying to become a member or you're trying to get into a community for the first time. And so let me just encourage you for a second. First off, we know our processes are not perfect. Uh, we are continually refining for improvement. And we hate it when process gets in the way of people because we want to love people. We wanna help people connect here quickly and to get in a community group where they can be shepherded by others toward Christ-likeness. And so if you've already completed the first three steps of membership and you know that you have, your next step is community formation, which here on the Dallas campus is every Sunday morning, 9 a.m. in the East Tower, where you can find community, begin that process. And if you're stuck, you just don't know what to do next to become a member here or to get in a group, email membership at watermark.org and somebody from the Connecting Your Community team will reach out to you and help you. You don't have to feel stuck. We want to help. And then lastly, if you're in a healthy group that is thriving, that is flourishing, that is making disciples, keep going, stay after it. And then I wanna ask something from you. Would you pray and process with your group considering adding a member, adding a new member or a new member couple who is looking for community for the first time? Because what an amazing discipleship opportunity to grab somebody new who's kind of in the log jam of trying to find community and to invite them in to disciple them and live life on life with them. That is an amazing opportunity. All right, church, shepherding in the body of Christ is a big deal. If you haven't figured it out, we are passionate about this topic. Why? Because the New Testament calls us to it. 
Jesus calls us to this, and it is an incredible privilege that he has given his church. But the time is short. The time is short. Our days go fast, our years go really fast, and there is a lot of work to be done. There are marriages to be restored and strengthened. There are children to be discipled and adopted in the city. There are uh, just folks all across this city that we need to have an impact on to be salt and light out there. And so to do that more effectively, we've gotta be serious about the business of shepherding one another. Okay, we wanna help you experience being better together, the joy and the blessing that comes from that. So if we can help you in any way, please initiate with us and let us know. All right, let's pray. Well, Father, we are uh, just incredibly grateful for your kindness and not uh, leaving us to figure this out on our own, that we don't have to try to follow you on our own, but you have given us the body of Christ and not just um, with church with a big C, but the local church and our community group, the, the brothers and sisters right here in our midst to spur us on, to help us follow you, to admonish us when we need it, to be gentle and patient with us when we need it. For those in here this morning who just need some extra encouragement, God, I pray that they would hold fast to the promises of your word. The scriptures that were shared this morning, I pray that they would reflect on them, meditate on them, and, and believe in them. Because you want to lead us toward life and joy, and it's only found in you and with your people. So would you help us to do this? For your glory and for our good, amen.